Hi, everyone, and welcome to episode two of Coffee and Killers, aka Mommy Self Care. Today, I'm drinking a cold brew cup of Bones' carrot cake coffee. It smells amazing. This is my first time indulging in Bones coffee after it was recommended via social media. This coffee is a medium blend of sweet cream, like the delicious cream cheese frosting you'd find on a carrot cake, and of course, cinnamon. It starts off with a little hint of spice and ends with the sweetness of cream cheese. I was also given a Pampered Chef cold brew system to try out. I am in no way paid to represent these brands. I'm just simply sharing my love for delicious caffeinated beverages with you in hopes of inspiring you to try new things as well. Before we get started on our story, I just wanted to take a moment to thank everyone who took the time to listen to episode one. Your questions, comments, and enthusiasm is so exciting. I have been researching several more murders that I am anxious to share with you because I find them so fascinating, but alas, duty calls and I can't spend all day, every day, ankle deep in murder stories. So this week, I am sharing the story of the Brayton Axe murder. Another Rochester, New York murder story, and one that, although decades old, has recently popped up in the headlines again. So grab your cup of coffee and join me for a little you time. Kathleen Schlosser, or Kathy as she was called, was born in 1952 and grew up in Michigan, not far from Detroit. She was the second oldest of six children born to a working class family. In a neighboring suburb lived a boy by the name of James Crossneck, with whom she would meet in college and marry at the age of 22. Shortly after the wedding, the couple moved away from their families to Colorado, where Jim would attend but never complete graduate studies. It's here that Kathy gave birth to their daughter, Sarah. Soon they moved to Virginia, where Jim got a job as an assistant professor of economics at Lynchburg College. Then, they moved a third time when Sarah was three to Brighton, New York, after Jim was offered a higher-paying job with Eastman Kodak. Brighton is a community of upper-middle-class families with quiet streets, good schools, and well-kept homes. It's just a quick 5-10 minute drive to bring you into the city of Rochester. Six months after settling into their new home, Jim returned from his workday around 5.30 p.m. Upon arriving home, he noticed a shattered window on the home's porch with a mall from the family's garage close by. Real quick, for those who don't know what a mall is, because I sure didn't, it looks a lot like an axe, just much smaller, around the size of a hammer. It reminds me of something you might take camping to help split small logs or cut rope. So after discovering the broken window, he immediately entered the home and ran upstairs to find his 29-year-old wife still in bed where he had left her at 6.30 that morning. But she had a long-handled axe stuck in the back of her head. Jim quickly ran to find his daughter, three-year-old Sarah. She was found in the corner of her bed and appeared to have dressed herself as she was wearing two sweaters and two pairs of socks. James picked Sarah up and ran outside to the neighbor's house. 
the neighbor accounts that Jim arrived to her door around 6 p.m. and appeared drained of color. She stated that he kept looking back at his house and appeared to be going into shock as he kept responding to her questions with, quote, a guttural sound. When police arrived, Jim gave them his account of the day, starting with when he left the home at 6.30 in the morning, with both his wife and daughter asleep in their beds. When he spoke of finding Kathy dead with an axe in her head, the police report states that he followed his statements of finding her with, quote, I did not touch my wife. I find this an interesting statement for him to think to offer up on his own, especially in 1982, before DNA was a forensic science. It would be four more years before DNA is used to close a case. Police determined that the window was shattered from the outside and both the mall and the axe were taken from the family's garage, which was unlocked. Near the door was also a single sock, which was thought to have been used to cover the hand of the mall that was used to break the window. Inside the home, it was reported that nothing of value was missing. However, a silver tea set and candelabras were found on the floor of the dining room. Kathy's purse and other items like jewelry were still in plain sight in the home. Unfortunately for investigators, the silver was void of any fingerprints and the handle of the axe had been completely wiped clean. Yes, while sticking out of her head. It seems odd to me that if this had been a burglary, the assailant first of all left the house without taking anything with him and killed the sleeping Kathy who, if she was sleeping, obviously didn't attempt to stop the burglar at any point. According to the coroner's report in 1982, Kathy's body still felt slightly warm to the touch and was in full rigor by the time the exam took place. It was estimated that her time of death could have been anywhere from several hours before Jim left for work at 6.30 in the morning to 9.30 in the morning, giving a wide enough range that his job became a potential alibi for his whereabouts. The night of the grisly discovery, Jim was cooperative, answering investigators' questions and allowing them to speak with little Sarah. Sarah had told the police that when she woke up, she found a man that she did not know asleep in mommy's bed. When asked what the man looked like, she said he was, quote, a lot of different colors. Perhaps Sarah saw her mother's killer? Or is the man she saw actually her mom unrecognizable from the violent scene? Jim had agreed to allow Sarah to speak with a psychologist in the upcoming days in an attempt to get more information from her. However, the following day, Jim had packed up some things and moved down to Michigan to be near family. He never willingly returned back to Rochester to live or to work. This is when police began thinking of Jim as a suspect instead of a grieving husband. Now, in my opinion, it does sound odd to just jump up and leave so quickly after the woman you loved was killed, but as a mother, I could also see myself trying to shield my daughter from further trauma and bring her closer to family. And I certainly wouldn't want to enter that home again. Lacking ample evidence, no arrests were made, and the case, although never officially cold or closed, kind of came to a standstill. A man by the name of Ed Larrabee confessed to the murder of Kathleen in 2014. At the time of the murder, Larrabee lived about a half a mile from the Krasnick home, which would only have been about a five-minute walk. Larrabee was questioned back in 1982 during the initial investigation. 
In 2014, however, Larrabee was incarcerated for sexual assault and was dying from Lou Gehrig's disease. Larrabee had promised police information on additional crimes he had committed as a bargaining tool to be placed in a private hospital to live out his remaining days. This confession didn't hold water with Brighton police, and in 2016, the case was reinvigorated, led by Brighton Police Chief Mark Henderson. And this time, the FBI was assisting. Boxes of handwritten police files were digitized using the FBI resources, allowing notes to be digitally searched by date and name. In addition, the plan was to have the autopsy results re-looked at and the axe and sock found at the crime scene to be analyzed for DNA. This brought a new sense of hope for Kathleen's family 37 years after her murder. And yes, both of her parents were still alive to witness this newfound hope. It's expected that DNA results, including touch and trace DNA, will prove that no one other than the three Krosnick family members were present the day of the murder. The FBI also called on a high-profile pathologist to review the coroner's report. Michael Bodden is well known for his work regarding the Attica riots and the controversial death of Jeffrey Epstein while in prison. It's speculated that Bodden will present proof that the rate in which Kathleen's body had cooled after death was slower than the typical 1.5 degrees per hour due to heavy clothing, a comforter, and an electric blanket on top of her in bed and after the murder. Instead of 1.5 degrees, a decrease of just one degree per hour would narrow the time of death to the early morning hours of February 19, 1982, before Jim left for work. The motive behind Jim killing his wife lies in the fact that just before the murder, Jim's place of employment discovered that he had lied about his credentials. The man who presented himself as Dr. Krosnick never did, in fact, complete his doctorate degree. It's believed that an argument regarding Jim's dishonesty at work escalated and resulted in murder. One source also stated that neighbors will be testifying about noises they heard in the middle of the night the day Kathy died. The defense will most likely point to the original motive of robbery and will focus heavily on the confessions made by Ed Larrabee just before his death in 2014. To me, the silver, purse, and other valuables left behind at the scene feel a little too obvious and staged, and Larrabee's confession was clearly an attempt to get leniency in the remaining days of his life. Chief Shaw, a 30-year veteran of the Brighton Police Department, reported that before the date of the alleged break-in at 33 Del Rio Drive, there hadn't been a burglary in nine months in the town. And within the previous 30 years, there had never been a burglary involving any form of violence, let alone a defenseless murder. At a press conference shortly after James Krosnick surrendered himself to police in November of 2019, Kathleen's sister spoke to the Democrat and Chronicle, a Rochester-based newspaper, saying, quote, I can tell you that after watching that press conference this morning and the confidence that all those men had who spoke today, that confidence inserted into my soul and I'm certain that James will be convicted, end quote. James, accompanied to court by his fourth wife and his daughter, who believes in her father's innocence, pled not guilty and was released on $25,000 bail. 
Trial is expected to begin on June 2nd of this year, and I look forward to giving you all the updates. Kathy's mother has since passed and is buried on the family plot with Kathy's memorial stone, but her father, well into his 90s, plans to travel to Rochester to attend every single day of the trial. Interesting tidbit I'd like to add. While I was researching for this episode, I came across information about the sale of the house where Kathleen was killed. It last sold in 2018, well below the assessed value of the home. Wonder why. As a true crime lover, I like to think I could convince myself to purchase a bargain home that happened to be the scene of a horrific crime. Heck, I'm not convinced the previous owner of my current home wasn't murdered here. However, I learned another interesting fact that might just prove to be too much even for me. It seems that in 1977, just five years before our original story takes place, Dr. Anthony Schifino, the founder of Rochester Radio Supply and one-time owner of Avon Inn, and his wife were found dead after the car was left running in the garage. Accidents happen, absolutely, but three dead bodies in just five years in the same house? No thanks, I'm good, but best of luck to the new owners. Sources for this episode are the Democrat and Chronicle, the podcast, Already Gone, and YouTube for providing the press conference with Brighton Police Department. If you liked this episode, please subscribe and rate us wherever you're listening. You can also find more information and photos about this case on Instagram at Coffee and Killers Podcast and Facebook at Coffee and Killers, aka Mommy's Self Care. Let us know if you have any coffee recommendations to feature, crimes you'd like to see covered, and or fun parenting stories to share with our listeners, since this is, in fact, a form of mommy's self-care, which means we all need to know we're in the same crazy boat. Visit Patreon slash Coffee and Killers podcast to learn about how you can support the podcast and how you can earn special perks by doing so. Till next time, after a while, crocodile.